Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my producer, Lindsay, and we are streaming live from Moses, the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio today. And as always, our Monday podcast, we're running a little bit late today, 1 to 2 p.m., and you can catch us on Thursdays, um, uh, 8 to 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Today, I'm super excited to have Alina with us. She is a naturopathic doctor, um, also graduated from medical school from Lat- La- Lativia, Lat- Latina? Correct? Correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Um, she specializes in hormones she, and, and anti-aging, aging gracefully, um, also aesthetics, some aesthetics, and she's going to talk about those today. So without further ado, I'm just going to go ahead and you know introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your history. Welcome to the show. Hi there. I am Dr. Blackburn Yelena. I actually graduated from, like you said, from Latvia Medical School, and here I did a naturopathic school in Portland. So um, I do hormone replacement therapy. I do aesthetic me- uh, medicine. I interest um, have interest in um, anti-aging therapies as well. Thank you for the introduction. Before we go further, tell us about how in Latvia there was more an integrative approach in medical school, and that's kind of why you went to naturopathic school here a little bit because there's more of an integrative approach in 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 Europe. Is that is that correct? Well, um, yes, it's correct. But also, the, recently in, in United States, there's a also inter- integrative approach to medical school as well. Uh, however, when I graduated, it was a little bit different and I wanted to know more about nutrition, herbs and uh, prevention and lifestyle and stuff like that. So I wanted to do that. Awesome. Love it. Thank you for that. So um, tell us a little bit about what you do. You um, you practice in Eugene, correct? Correct. Correct. Eugene, Oregon. So tell us a little bit about, about the hormones and aesthetics that you, that you do. So I do all kinds of uh, acidic therapies from uh, Botox, relax, uh, muscle relaxation and, um, you know, um, fillers and uh, PRP, all kinds of different um, biostimulations, skin, as well as uh, graceful aging requires a good amount of healthy hormones. And it d- depends on the person, depends on the uh, situation. I sometimes prescribe um, estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone, and cortisol, and depends on what DHA and whatever person needs at this particular age and time. And so tell us a little bit about aging gracefully. When you say aging gracefully, there's not, there's not a way to prevent us from aging. That's correct, correct? Yeah. Um, so what, what, what's our goal when we, we want to age gracefully? What does that mean? Uh, the goal is age healthy and age... Uh, I guess radiant and is as uh, and at state your prime as much as you want to as much as you can considering health conditions, contraindications, and medications. And so, how do hormones affect that? Well, if uh, the hormones would stay always at the same amount, then we probably wouldn't age, pretty much, right? Uh, hormones are big, as uh, large, uh, and very potent. Uh, um, transmitters or um, ingredients that influence our aging process very, very much. So that's that's a simple answer. 
Right. And it, it is. And as we age, our, our hormone levels decline. And there is a lot of research um, and thought right. about one of the reasons we do age is because of, of um, um, our hormones decreasing. So, um, so yeah. let's take a, let's take a typical 50 year old male that has maybe some symptoms of you know, maybe they have some symptoms of aging, which, what would some symptoms of aging be for a 50-year-old male? Uh, typically, it's fatigue, uh, sometimes decreased erection, um, hair loss, um, insomnia. Weight gain, That's decreased mean, energy. Mean, yes, right. definitely. Fatigue. Decreased energy, muscle mass lost, uh, and all, all those kind of different things. Yeah. Right. So then, what would we do? We do with those those men. You would check a hormone panel. Is that correct? Yes, I would check hormone panel. I would check his history uh, and make sure that he doesn't have any kind of situation where he can prescribe hormones. And plus, I would make sure that first of all he he balanced and remove the obstacles for him to heal and do well. Otherwise, prior to prescribing any hormones, because it's always extra. Um, load on your liver and you need to make sure you're healthy enough to do that and as long as other things right right hormones are a piece of the puzzle correct right correct mm -hmm. right and we still have to eat well we still have to exercise and things like that right, mm -hmm. right. so um what kind of hormone levels would you check on a male than a 50-year-old male that are experience that is experiencing those kind of symptoms can you specifically go into those hormones yes so I would check definitely testosterone, DHT, uh, DHEA. Um, if there's a, uh, insomnia, then progesterone, estrogen, definitely. Um, I would check cortisol level, uh, morning cortisol, if necessary, maybe 24 hours urine cortisol. Um, CRP, because I do want to know where we generally uh, CRP, it's the um, inflammatory uh, marker. Um, do we'll do CBC, PCA, PSA to make sure his prostate works fine. There's no contraindications. Um, depends on the person, but typically that's probably plus minus vitamin D in our area. It's very important because people deficient in in Oregon more than other places. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Lots of rain and right. and not a lot of sunshine, and we're mm -hmm. in the northern latitudes, right? Absolutely. <laughs> right. So tell me a little bit. I want to back up a little bit. You talked about checking estrogen in men. Can you be more specific than that? I know a lot of our viewers are probably used to hearing about estrogen in women, but not in men. Can you elaborate on that? Absolutely. So uh, as male age, uh, aging, his uh, pretty much always, but it was age and other factors, his testosterone uh becomes estrogen, so metabolized into estrogen and estrogen. Too much estrogen can cause so-called gynecomastia, where a male get the symptoms of uh, increased weight, uh, increase uh, um, uh, breast, uh, increase uh, losing hair, uh, decrease the reaction, and all kinds of other things which prevent him from being in his prime. So the estrogen level should be at uh, optimal level, at least at healthy level for male. For me, I prefer 30 to 50. Uh, some um, doctors probably prefer more or less, typically more than I do. I think it's optimal, can be a little bit more. 
but uh, too much estrogen also would um, kind of contribute to blood clots if there is a, a special tendency for the particular male to have a blood pressure higher or cholesterol abnormal and stuff like that, then it's all very, uh, becomes a very kind of iffy point for me to even think about prescribing extra testosterone, which possibly can contribute to estrogen as well. Exactly, exactly. Well, thanks for clearing that up because I think a lot of people don't know that, you know, um, estrogen is important in men. So you do need some, you just don't need too much of it. So, yeah. yeah. And and what about progesterone? You mentioned progesterone and sleep. I know there's maybe some controversy on that, but um, I'm a big believer in progesterone. Men make progesterone just like women do, not as much as women do, and it does help regulate sleep. So you prescribe progesterone for men, is that correct? Correct. Sometimes. Yeah. Very yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. So a uh, male that uh, chronically cannot sleep and uh, sometimes... Um, a little bit anxious and typically with high estrogen amount uh, was how I said uh, gynecomastia all of these symptoms uh, would um, preclude me I think about low to, uh, progesterone in male and then I'll prescribe maybe low, very low doses uh, of progesterone and go um, we'll do pretty much clinical trial because again it like you said it's there's a very country uh, controversy about the progesterone to make sure that uh, other side of uh, too much progesterone would be the uh, anxiety as well. And it's good, uh, healthy level of progesterone could benefit, but too much progesterone can actually contribute to insomnia and anxiety and stuff like that. Yeah, that's not that uncommon as far as hormones go. Sometimes too much or too little can contribute to, to those symptoms. So, and, and so what about thyroid? What about thyroid for this man? Would, the, would you check thyroid? Uh, thyroid probably would be number one for me to check. I just, I don't know why I didn't say that pretty much in the first row of the hormones. I just forgot. It's so, it comes automatically with CRP and the number one hormone I would check because that's pretty much the conductor of our all hormones in our body. And if thyroid not doing well, then pretty much everything um, not, um, not, not uh, balanced. All hormones, other ones can be normal. It, uh, sometimes just uh, doing very little doses of thyroid can uh, help me and I don't need to prescribe anything else. Yeah, I think, thanks for um, commenting on that. I think that's so important why you, when we say hormone balance, I mean, all the hormones work together. So you can't right. just usually balance one hormone and then everything's okay. Right. Um, also, the hormones work in what I like to say a hierarchy. And you know, we can live without our sex hormones. So, you know, whether it be ovaries for women or testes for men, we want, we might not feel the best, but we can live without those. We can't live without a thyroid. So if your thyroid is not in balance, it trumps everything downstream, um, which means nothing is going to be optimal if your thyroid's not optimal. And then also um, on top of that, that means your adrenal glands. You talked about cortisol. Adrenals trump it all. Um, I guess we can live without a thyroid gland, um, but we cannot, we wouldn't be very healthy, but we cannot live without adrenal glands. So tell us a little bit about cortisol and, and the stress hormone and how you check it. Yes. So it's actually very difficult to check stress hormone because you really have to have no stress for morning cortisol to be accurate. 
And besides telling patients, don't check your email, don't try not to stress, <laughs> right. drink your coffee, just kind of slowly relocate to the lab. Or best way it would be just checking the cortisol at home when just just woke up and opened your. Now, without uh, stress, people saying st stress bad for me. Well, without stress, we wouldn't live. We have to have stress in our, or in in order to you know continue life. But too much stress hormone can make you anxious, can make you gain weight, can make you unhealthy. Um, inflammation could just rise up. Your body wouldn't function well. Too little stress hormone, uh, cortisol in the morning can make you very fatigued. You wouldn't be able to wake up in the morning. Uh, you would be able to, but um, you have to put much more effort to it. And right. uh, your uh, ability to think, ability um, to function would be decreased. And typically what I see are people who don't have cortisol in the morning uh, at the optimal level. They do have cortisol at night kind of higher than normal and they can fall asleep and when they cannot fall asleep be, there's different reasons why we can't fall asleep but the, if it's related to cortisol then a rejuvenation of our memory which happens to happens to have a, a necessity of a low cortisol at night also not happening so it's kind of like a very very important and also the Cortisol and DHA has to be balanced and all kinds of other things. And so, ideas, of course, right? Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, um, it's really kind of hard, and I agree with you, it's kind of hard to uh, assess a lab level um, result of cortisol because of where we are under stress. So you must really look at symptoms in history instead of just trusting a black and white lab. Is that correct? Definitely. Um labs are helpful, but they have patients who actually had been treated with uh, high doses of corticosteroids in their life. They have like three or four pages of uh, allergies to medications and stuff. So they have been treated in the hospital in the past. And at this point, they have pretty much uh, opposite reaction to uh, many, many things, including hormones. So their labs are not indicative for me much. So I'm going with the clinical history definitely and uh, health history and um, and the hormone uh, levels as well, right? Yeah, it's and it's so important to correct those adrenal type issues like yeah. the stress hormone before you really can can um, address the other issues. And one of the things is is that you know if your cortisol is out of balance, usually you're not sleeping well. Is that correct? Exactly. And if we're not sleeping well, we talk about it on this show all the time. There's really three things that we can do to stay healthy, and that's and that's eat, exercise, and sleep. And sleep trumps them all. If we're not sleeping well, we're never going to recover. We're not going to be healthy. So that's why um, balancing your cortisol is so important. Right. Absolutely. I agree with you. It's um, more important than anything, your sleep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about um, – a, women, a, a woman that's 45 years old, she's starting to cycle more irregularly, her cycles have become more irregular, she might have a few hot flashes, decreased energy, some weight gain. What kind of hormone labs would you run on her? Um, so on her, I would definitely do um, thyroid, progesterone, estrogen, testosterone. Um, and I can go ahead and I mean, I, I'm trying not to go and explain why, because it's just, but cortisol, right. DHA, 
uh, CRP, vitamin D, um, HA, I mean, highly sensitive CRP, IGF-1. Uh, if it depends on what on the symptomatology, what what's her goals? But sometimes IGF one. Um, that's pretty much kind of like general picture. But that then each additional symptom would co would make me maybe think about oxytocin, or maybe think about other things. Maybe think about prolactin. Maybe think about something else. You know, dep depends. Yeah, it's very very personal to each patient. Right. right. Let's back up on thyroid a little bit. We talked about how important thyroid was, and you even talked about labs for men and for women. So let's talk about thyroid labs specifically. I know usually the gold standard of thyroid is TSH alone. Do you get more specific tests than just TSH alone? Yes. i definitely not a fan of... Um uh, providers who just prescribe TSH is just because it doesn't give me uh, enough opportunity to understand if it's uh, what is going on. Because sometimes TSH itself can be sub uh, normal, but um, normal limits, but person would have subclinical uh, hypothyroid situation. And free uh, T3 and free T4 would be very important to detect, uh, and as well as if there's, we're talking about an autoimmune uh, situation with Hashimoto thyroiditis, and it would be important to, for me to see the um, the uh, thyroid antibodies. So two groups of thyroid antibodies, definitely. Tell us a little bit more about Hashimoto's. We have not talked about it on this podcast much at all, but you talked about antibodies to your thyroid and Hashimoto's. Um, I know I've read some reports that up to 50% of thyroid dysfunction could be related to Hashimoto's. Tell us a little bit about Hashimoto's. So basically Hashimoto, like I was recently explaining, and it's funny because with, with practice, with, uh, hum, with years of practice, it always comes to your mind different explanations, simple and simple. So the last thing I explained it, I said, it's not really against your, you wouldn't feel react, you wouldn't really feel antibodies against your thyroid, but it's basically not a stable uh, levels of your thyroid hormone. That's what happens and that's what you feel up and down, up and down. You're feeling anxious, you're feeling depressed, you're feeling anxious, depressed, you're feeling tired, you're feeling manic almost. And that's what Hashimoto does in, sim in symptoms. Um, and why is it happening? Well, there's so many theories why, but uh, even though if you we will fix everything and person would be absolutely healthy and, and doing everything right, still there's going to be typically antibodies present. The amount of it, that's what makes a difference. If it's, you know, if you will get from 1500 to 10 TPO thyroid peroxidase, then uh, anti-thyroid peroxidase, then, then the person would feel much better. But what it is, it is antibodies to your own thyroid gland, basically. And, right. You're, you're trying to basically attack your own thyroid gland. So how do you treat that? You just treat it more aggressively with thyroid and, and maybe some diet issues? How do you treat that? We, uh, first of all, I'd like all the start with uh, eliminating the factors which can contribute to thyroid problems as the sleep, as the um, diet, uh, healthier lifestyle, uh, amount of nutrients necessary to build those hormones, uh, thyroid hormones, everything. And then if, no, there's no, I would not say more aggressively. So no to more aggressively. I would say actually more, um, 
precisely, more patiently, right. more kind of paying attention to all little things, every other hormone, assessing everything, and then maybe adding change and stuff because you have to really look. It's not just hypothyroid when it's Hashimoto. It's just a, a general uh, dysfunction, whole body dysfunction. So there's something that contributes typically. Right. There's basically a lot of inflammation probably going on in the body is really what it is. And you, you, you know, you have to really address that whole issue and, yeah. and treat the problem and just, and it's just a symptom. So we want to treat the problem instead of just a, just a symptom of Hashimoto's, correct? Absolutely. Uh, the, our body doesn't know anything else. They just know how to react with one thing, inflammation. Whatever happens, we don't sleep inflammation. We are thyroid no function inflammation. So yes, inflammation would be the main that's why I check HACRP to actually see where I'm, where I'm starting with, but then I'm going to uh, optimize an inflammation to keep CRP and mild levels, definitely. So what about CRP? Tell us how you lower CRP. I know that's a pretty uh, big buzzword right now about CRP and inflammation and monitoring it. And if we do have elevated CRP, you're, you're at bigger risk for having a heart attack, correct? Correct. And cardiovascular and uh, uh, brain and stroke. So, so heart attack and stroke. So, yeah. what are some ways that you that you can lower CRP? You know, I don't know. You probably would be laughing right now, <laughs> because I actually use very simple levels, very inexpensive uh, ways to decrease CRP. And typically, it's a diet. It's my uh, favorite uh, vegetable soup, which I recommend to everybody. I'm like, okay, that's very easy. There's my recipe. And uh, bromelain and turmeric, those kind of things. Yeah, no, those are All great. Things, yes, there's three things. And I, if people do that, then their therapy goes uh, tremendously down. Like give me one to three months and it'll be much better. So yeah. bromelain, turmeric, and what was the other thing? Your soup recipe? Yes, my soup recipe, my um, vegetable soup recipe. Very simple, right? And is there any um, magic ingredients in it? I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just what's the, what's the secret ingredients in it? Is there just vegetable soup? Yes, vegetable soup. Basically, there's no meat, right? And so um, there's um, carrots, uh, celery, uh, herbs, uh, tomato, um, I, I don't know. Every, pretty much whatever you have in the fridge, all vegetables uh, and uh, cauliflower and broccoli, everything goes there. And you just steam it for a little bit and then eat it during the day. You can eat it, even drink the, um, the broth, vegetable broth during the day as they drink. So that's what I recommend. Just those three things to lower CRP. I, I, I love it. it I, you know, you say I'm going to laugh, but I love it. I mean, when you think about our bodies are created to you know we don't need fancy drugs a lot of times right. to take care of our bodies we just need to to know what to eat and exercise and sleep so you see i'm gonna laugh but i you know being a pharmacist my wife and i are both pharmacists and we talk about therapies like this all the time because um i think if you can do nutritional therapies with diet and lifestyle changes it's much better than drug therapy that has side effects Right. One thing I have to mention, of course, we're talking about um, when there's no organic issues, no problems with uh, acute inflammation on, on infection, because when CRP of 10 and higher, then you have to rule out any kind of, um, you know, infection. 
Correct. Uh, right. It's number one thing. And then when everything ruled, ruled out and it's just functional problems, then. Right. Thank you for clarifying that. Because yes, that is that is so true that there could be an underlying infection. And obviously, you know, we got to treat that before we can uh, really look at the, um, the the bigger picture. So thank you for um, thank you for that educational tip. That's awesome. Sure. Uh, okay, so let's shift gears a little bit. Right. You do you do some aesthetic stuff also. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're a poster child for that. You look great, by the way. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you do aesthetics, but you, you look great. So, um, so anyway, you do you do some Botox, and you do Botox for aesthetics, correct? Correct. So, tell us a little bit about Botox. Where you get it? Where you get it injected, and how that and how that works for aesthetics and and wrinkles. So the Botox, uh, Xeomin Botox, this port, Juvia, uh, right now it's a new Botox, and there's a one coming. Almost came uh, FDA approved, which I'm not going to talk about, but that that's the one longer term kind of uh, neuromodulator, um, muscle relaxant. Uh, so all of them uh, works pretty much similar. They prevent uh, release of uh, neurotransmitter in the muscle, so blocks the connection between nerve and the muscle. And this way, while wow, wrinkles kind of softer and relaxes the muscle which may which we use to make wrinkles so just make our facial or whatever muscle we're injecting it into lazy right so we can inject it in our forehead in the glabella right here to relax those 11s around the eyes Uh, sometimes i inject it uh, on the upper lip to just relax the vermilion border um, we can do prevent uh, developing of uh, marionette lines right there right here but it's just not very it's not FDA approved but we sometimes patients asking me uh, so all kinds of things like that and other places of course yeah yeah okay that's awesome now how long do Botox and how long do Botox injections last they don't last forever how long do they usually last uh, they last uh, from, by a company says that they last from two, two and a half months to four months. Some people can stretch it to five. However, um, I think with aging, it's uh, last less. Not quite as long. I mean, yeah. that kind of makes sense, right? Right. You know, a little bit. I mean, our wrinkles are probably getting a little more severe, so it's not going to last as long. And of course, <laughs> the amount of it, amount of it is important. So yeah. the more you inject, the longer it will last. Right, right. And you have to be careful about how much you inject, correct? Correct. Uh, and uh, typically, East Coast and West Coast very different on the amounts. Because my books are which typically written by East Coast doctors. They are much higher amounts they inject in there than we are injecting here, probably because we want it to be more natural. People are asking me um, that their facial features wouldn't change and stuff like that. So I'm making sure right. that happening right well thank you for clearing that up thank you for educating us on that and what about fillers so what are fillers you talked about fillers and you do fillers what are what are fillers fillers are liquid skin i would say basically when we're losing our um volume uh in our skin and under our skin we try to replace it with hyaluronic acid calcium hydroxyapatite in the past, it was collagen. Right now, it's not important, the collagen, as, well, as much because it's we cannot reverse it. With hyaluronic acid, it's easier to reverse. So basically, that's we, we can 
inject and we can reverse if it's too much and doesn't work very well with any side effects. And yeah. so tell me a little bit about fillers. You inject them around the lips, correct? We injected, I can inject fillers pretty much everywhere. Because um, um, I recently was introdu introduced and actually have a second part of the training of doing a biostimulation with hyperdiluted radius. And it's actually um, not only face, but also body, arms and buttocks, uh, and, buttocks and, and legs and everywhere. So I, in the face, I injected um, temples and lips and around the lips and um, cheeks and um, everywhere. And sometimes under the eyes of people ask me to, and if, if, if it's indicated, right? Yeah. Yeah, thank you for clearing that up. You're educating me as well as our viewers. I like it. All right, Alina, we're getting, uh, we're wrapping up the podcast here today. So I've just got a few questions for you. Um, actually, the first one is, is, you know, what drives you? What do you have a passion for? I have passion for help, help and make people beautiful or health, healthy and beautiful. Definitely. Awesome. Awesome. So how do people get a hold of you so they can be healthy and beautiful? Uh, they either uh, call me, text me to our phone number in uh, clinic or they email, send email. Awesome. Producer, can we stream her? Do you, are you guys ready to stream like her, her email or something? We're going to stream your uh, website or something, I think, up there so people can know how to get a hold of you. Well, I appreciate I appreciate that. that was a lot of information in 30 minutes. I really appreciate you coming on today and educating our listeners and viewers. And um, there she is. There's how you get a hold of her. Um, Alina, thank you so much for being on today. I really, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All right. You've been listening to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Tune in Thursday, 8 a.m. to 9 uh, a.m. Pacific Standard Time because we will have Lorraine uh, Lanning on. She's going to tell us about her experience of, of COVID, how she contracted COVID and fought it and won. And she's also going to tell us about her journey of weight loss with a keto diet, um, losing 70 pounds. So tune into that. You don't want to miss it. As always, uh, look at look us up on YouTube, the Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And we are on all the podcast forums, so iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, um, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Go to your favorite podcast and listen to us there. Watch us on YouTube. Subscribe. Alina, thank you again. And listeners and viewers, as always, thank you for watching. You've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham.